This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, alternative media for discerning minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support. And when I say warm welcome, I really mean it. With all the low temperatures worldwide, warm is a word sorely missed right now. Even in the desert, the emergency broadcasting system issued a bulletin yesterday stating the gas company ran out of gas due to unusually high demand. At 28 degrees Fahrenheit, I know it's balmy in comparison to most of you, but when you're used to 100 degree weather almost all year long, anything below freezing really hurts. It really makes you consider the movie The Day After Tomorrow. Science fiction feels like science fact right about now. Al Gore, why are you hiding? Actually, he's not. He says this is due to global warming, and he can explain it. As a politician, I'm sure you'll come up with an explanation, Al. Tonight's special guest is Stuart Swerdlow, a Montauk Project recruit, who discusses 13-year experience 
in the secret government program. Stewart was blind for 29 years, but he could see. After 29 years, his optic nerves were reconnected to his brain. He discussed some of our true history, current world events, and predictions. Stuart Swartlow will be with us shortly. To listen to tonight's interview and all our interviews, become a member. You will receive instant access to all of them. And remember, Veritas survives on your voluntary subscriptions only. So if you've been listening to the first segment of the show for some time, don't you think it's time to listen to the entire show and support our work? Just visit our website, VeritasShow.com, click on the subscribe link and take Veritas with you. You can now download the latest show via the iTunes link. That simple. Now the new 8GB metal case USB drive filled with Season 2, the best music of 2010, the Paul Benowitz letters, and NASA footage that is no longer on their catalog is now available for sale. Season 1 is still available too. You can also buy both USB drives with Seasons 1 and 2 and save on shipping. Just go to the Veritas store and place your order. And with this weather, don't forget and get your MMS right from us. If you still don't know what MMS is, go to our past shows link and find the interview with Jim Humble, entitled Jim Humble versus the FDA. And the International UFO Congress is taking place from February 23rd through the 27th in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Take a look at the wonderful lineup of speakers. I will be there. Will you? If you haven't made your reservation yet, I encourage you to do so without further delay. Just click on the banner on our website for more information and to reserve. I hope to see you there. You may remember Barry King, one of our very test guests, who did two shows with us last year entitled Disclosure from the Inside. If you haven't listened to those shows, I encourage you to do so, so that you can have a better perspective for what I'm about to share with you. Barry King is a whistleblower and has been an active participant at our forum for a long time. Because of what has transpired, I'm now compelled to share with you the following. On December the 12th, 2010, Barry wrote to me with the following message. Quote, Mel, it is 2125 hours on Sunday, 12th December 2010 here. Please look for an email I shall be sending you concerning a conversation tonight I partook in with two individuals. The same two that were here at my home some months ago that discussed my past, my dad, his role in the World War II operation regarding a German facility, etc. What these two told me tonight requires some deep thinking on my part. And in turn, I need as insurance should I not be around after a certain date, that secure friendly sources will have a record of tonight's conversation. Please, I know I do not need to ask, but please keep this and the ensuing email totally confidential. Many thanks, Barry." Unquote. Well, days went by and I never heard from Barry. On December 27, 2010, I received the following message from Barry. Quote, Mel, I have delayed sending you that email. It's been too close to the holiday season. For the record, when it mentioned not being around, possibly after a certain time, that was not being dramatic. You are astute enough in knowing the true meaning of Barry King will become one of those old men whom sit and stare out of windows with no longer any memories. Hope your Christmas was great and please have a great new year. 
Regards, Barry. Unquote. Well, fast forward to January 5th, 2011. Barry left his last message at the forum, and it simply read, quote, Mel, it has begun. You know what I refer to, I hope. Unquote. That's when we lost all contact with Barry. Through a third party, on January the 8th, we were told that Barry was attacked by someone, left in bad state. He has no memory of the events, not even of himself at the moment. Had doctors at home? I'm not sure how he's doing right now. He went somewhere to base, was returned the same evening, with bruises, cuts, needle marks, and no memory. Then, on January the 9th, I decided to investigate this matter further and called Barry in England. I have shared this conversation with our forum members, but here I'm sharing it publicly for the first time. I have no way of confirming any of this, but since he has been a guest of this show, I find it compelling enough to share this conversation with you after what Barry has allegedly gone through. Hello. Hello, this is Barry. Speaking. Barry, this is Mel from Veritas. Do you remember me? Now you do? I, I think so, yes. Okay. What's going on? Um, that's, that's not an easy question to answer at all. Not an but easy do you one. remember who I am? Uh, vague, vaguely. What has happened in the past few days that you don't seem to remember, Barry? sure if this should be spoken about. Okay. There's a lot of people are emailing me asking me if I know what you're doing and I don't want to continue letting them know that I don't. <clears throat> yeah. For, first of all, just to be clear, who, who am I? Well, you stated Mel Fabregas, yes? That's right. That's correct. How do you know me? Uh, you've sent a couple of emails. Um, and checking through the emails, going back some time, there's, there's been some communication, yeah. Okay. Do you remember having been on my show? A show? Yes. Mm, <laughs> no. You don't remember having spent four hours with me on the phone and uh, doing two shows? When was this? My God. F April of last year. <sighs> no, sorry. I sent you a link. Maybe if, at your leisure, if you press that link and listen to your voice, you may remember. That's fair enough. I can try that. Okay. Now, is what's happening to you a bona fide thing, or is this something uh, of a defense mechanism that you're using to not continuing the disclosure effort? That I... That's not... That's something I couldn't even begin to answer. I don't know. I, would you say that you have some amnesia taking place? That... that would be a, um, um, uh, an understatement. An understatement. Mm. More of a lobotomy, chemical lobotomy. 
No, there's 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 no indication of that. I'm. I, I can say some things um, that I am trusting with another individual, and perhaps uh, those very few details I have can be shared with yourself. But I'm I'm not sure whether it would be of any use to anyone anyway. A few weeks ago, you contacted me and you said that something was about to happen and that you were contacting me as one of the trusted people in your life and you were going to send me what you called an insurance message in case something happened to you. Mm -hmm. But you never did. Because I asked you why, and you said because it was the holidays, and you didn't want to spoil anybody's holiday. Then all of a sudden, you disappeared from the map, and you reappeared again without remembering your past. So that's why I'm calling you, mm. to see if you remember that insurance file you were referring to. Well, I've, I've no recall of that, and if, if I told you that, then obviously I, I must have said that at that time. I've, I've no recall. Your last, uh, your last message uh, at the uh, forum, you said, Mel, it has begun. That's, those were your last words. Well, obviously I've got to take your word for that. I don't, I don't recall. Well, I have uh, plenty of email from you before that happened. So obviously something, something happened to you, Barry, that you're being blocked Do you know where you used to work before? No, I have no idea. Um, I've been told not to actually dig into certain areas of the past, even if it would help, because it would just probably cause more trauma. Peace more? Does that sound familiar to you? I've seen the word, but it means nothing to me. Peace more means nothing to you. No. You worked at a uh, you worked as a security officer in an underground facility in Peace more. Um, again, you might as well say I've been an astronaut and been to the moon. It would mean nothing to me whatsoever. Do you remember your family? That, that's the weird thing. Um, they're here, and I have to. That's all I can say. Do you remember years ago stories with your family, events? I'm showed pictures, tapes, discs. Um, there's a lot of stuff here, and it just makes no sense at all. If you listen to those shows you did with me, about four hours, what do you think is going to happen after you hear yourself for four hours? I don't know. Um, I'll probably recognize my own voice, but as for, well, I don't know. I, I, just, I just don't know. Do you know that you are a member of uh, our forum? It says very test show on your emails. I didn't realize there was a forum attached to that. Yes, it's called the Manticore Forum, and you used to be the Watcher. Then you change the, the nickname to uh, Spirit Wolf. Does that, does that ring a bell? No. No. 
Well, you have plenty. You have hundreds of posts there. So you wouldn't even know where to go and how to sign on and... Um, I've been left a few notes, very basic, of logging into um, an email account mm -hmm. and some mentions of one or two forums with one or two logins, but I don't recall a Veritas forum. You don't recall the Manticore forum? Manticore. No, I'll, I'll look for that. No, I, I, I don't know. Wow, Barry, th this is really alarming. And you can, you can categorically say to me that you are telling me the truth, but you don't remember. I don't remember. And I hate to even say this, but do you swear that that is the absolute truth, that you don't remember, or this is a selective decision you've made to avoid any further problems? I mean, this is to me a weird conversation. Um, I'm speaking with someone I don't know who's trying to tell me things, and I just don't remember. Well, I, I swear, it's all one big black hole. I know nothing. Is there anything we can do on our side to help you? <sighs> well, not knowing exactly who you are and what you do, uh, that's really not something I can... I can't even go there. Do you know who you're in contact with that are causing this forgetfulness, if you will? Um, I, I, perhaps it would be better if I told you what I've related to this one person, this close friend who, again, by association of seeing lots of posts and talking between us over the last three, four years. I've sort of trust this person that knows me. Are you, are you talking Maybe. about James Casbolt? I'm sorry? Are you talking about James Casbolt? I'm sorry, I have no idea who James Casbolt is. Okay. No. You don't know who, you don't know who James Casbolt is? I have no idea. Okay, why don't you, if you can, why don't you go ahead and tell me what you told the other person? I think I will actually reply by the, the written word email rather than over this telephone. But okay. To, to be honest, I, I, no disrespect, but I really don't know who you are. Okay, well, all I can say to you, Barry, is that we have been corresponding for over two years. We did a show for four hours, and we called it Disclosure from the Inside, part one and part two. Mm -hmm. And that's where you claimed that you were disclosing your final words. So that would be a first step for you to, to listen to that show and, and realize that I'm not a stranger. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I can okay. do that. Yeah. So take your time, listen to that, and if you wish to respond, that's fine. But in the meantime, what would you like me to tell the people at our forum that are concerned about you? <laughs> that's just basically it. I don't know who, who they are. Um, no, again, uh, this, is, this is ridiculous. Um, if people know me and are concerned about me, I'm sorry. 
um, I, I wish I knew. I just wish I knew. I'll tell you what. This is how I'm going to end the conversation. I'm going to send you your credentials to log into that forum with a link to your post, to your thread, which is called Questions for Spirit Wolf. And that's where people have been asking you questions for about two years now. Okay. And you can read what you yourself have been writing for the last two years. Okay. Yeah, that, 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 that seems fine enough. Yeah. That, that, okay. Health-wise, how are you? Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. No pains? Um, some, but uh, nothing I, I, I cannot live with. Okay. You don't remember having had a uh, written argument with the man with the name of uh, Aaron McCollum at the Project Camelot forum last week, do you? I don't recall any argument. Again, apologize if I, if I did. Um, I, no, I, I, don't, I don't remember the person. He or she, I, I do apologize if I, if I argued. Okay. Well, any last words you would like to tell people? Um, well, again, I'm barely knowing myself. I don't know anyone else, and I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry. I'm just very, very sorry. You remember your childhood? <laughs> By pictures and films I've, I've, I've seen, but it rings no bells. Well, then, if that's the case, Barry, I would suggest that you listen to our show, because in that show, I, you took me through your childhood from the moment you were born till right now. So that would be a good recap of what has happened in the past decades for you. Okay. Okay? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Well, sorry. All I can say is I'm sorry to hear that this is happening, Barry, because something happened to you, obviously. It's either, and I mean no disrespect to you, Barry, it's either you've been instructed to behave this way, one, or two, something has happened to you that's, that is blocking your memory. Yeah, that, that's 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 fine. That's, that's fair enough. It's uh, obviously trying to actually get across to people how I am at the moment is, is difficult without okay. seeing me. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. All right, Barry. Well, you have a nice evening, and I'll send you credentials so you can log into that forum, and maybe that's going to help you connect some dots from the past. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, fine. Thank you. That, okay. That's, that's helpful. Thanks. All right. Well, well you, you take care. Okay. I, I, I will. Thank you again for, uh, for, for ringing me. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. After this conversation, we have continued to communicate, and he is frustrated with the fact he draws a blank whenever I ask him any relevant questions, and nothing makes sense to him. If this is all true, here's an example of the extent some elements can go in order to silence whistleblowers. If it's not, then it's one of the best stories I have ever heard. No offense, Barry. As you know, in this show, we don't want to believe, we want to know. Either way, we hope you and your loved ones are doing fine. I will post updates at the forum if I receive more information. If you need to get in touch with me, just go to our website and click on the contact button and join me on Facebook. And now... Get ready for a mental download with someone who can move your consciousness beyond time and space to determine your foundational mind pattern upon which all of your life experiences are based. 
We'll discuss his childhood, the Montauk Project, our present history, which was written by those in control, and a discussion of current world events that affect us all. Stuart Swetlow is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Stuart A. Swertlow is a gifted hyperspace intuitive who moves his consciousness beyond time and space to determine your foundational mind pattern upon which all of your life experiences are based. His great-uncle, Jakov Sviatlov, was the first president of the Soviet Union, and his grandfather, helped form the Communist Party in the United States in the 1930s. To ensure that his loyalties stayed with the U.S. government, he was recruited for specific government mind control experiments, including 13 years at the Montauk Project, which enhanced his natural abilities. Stuart, a linguist who speaks 10 languages, is an expert in deprogramming and determining which Illuminati programs are embedded in the mind patterns of any individual. His mission is to help others heal themselves in a positive way, thus avoiding the negativity he experienced. Stewart has authored and co-authored with his wife Janet several books and lectures worldwide for a variety of groups, organizations, and large corporations. You can find out more about Stewart and his work by visiting his website, expansions.com. And directly from St. Joseph, Michigan, I would like to introduce for the first time on Veritas, Stuart A. Swartlow. Hello, Mr. Swartlow, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Hi, thank you very much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. May I call you Stuart? Absolutely. May I call you Mel? Absolutely. Perfect. Well, I have to tell you, I am somewhat embarrassed, and I tell this to a lot of my, my new guests sometimes, because... Where in the world have I been that I was not aware of your work? I, I've spent the last couple of days reviewing your interviews, your website, and so on, and I'm so excited to have you here because you're the type of guest that we like because you discuss so many things ranging from the paranormal all the way to what is happening in today's world, but you have a different perspective and you give a real meaning. So tonight, I would like to discuss two things, your background, the Montauk Project, how you came to be who you are today, and then we can transition into what is happening today in the world and things that we can do to circumvent this sea of uncertainty that seems to be permeating right now. So to start, Stuart, you were involved in the Montauk Project as a child. I know many of our listeners around the world know of you and have read some of your books, but since this is your first time on Veritas, for those who may not know who you are, and what the Montauk Project was or is. Give us some background of yourself. 
Okay, well, I will tell you, I'll go back a little bit in time, because as you mentioned, my great uncle, Yakov Sverdlov, was the first president of the Soviet Union. And in fact, uh, before the Soviet Union became such, he was the roommate of Stalin in the gulags in Siberia. Hmm. And my family, you know, even though we are Russian, it actually have we have origins in Sweden of uh, the Vikings that invaded Russia, that right. are called the Rus, and that's where Russia got its name. So that is my family's background, and they founded the town of Nizhny Novgorod in in Russia. And so when uh, my my great uncle became the uh, the president of Soviet Union, he sent my grandfather to Britain in order to help start the Communist Party there. And I suppose it wasn't so successful in Britain at that time, and so they they put him into the United States. And so that's when uh, everything here started to happen. It was during approximately the time of the Great Depression. And uh, my grandmother was a Soviet spy, but of course that was during World War II, and I must must, uh, tell the audience that in World War II, the United States and the Soviet Union were actually allies. So um, it wasn't such a terrible thing at those days. But because of that background, my father was taken into service in the United States military and actually uh, trained in a base underground near El Paso, Texas. And it was shortly after that that I was born and my father was followed for many years after that by a secret service. Um, and uh, our family in the United States was heavily monitored. In fact, still we are monitored, uh, phone uh, taps, mail being opened and checked, uh, everything that you can imagine. And so at a very young age, because of all that, and in order to uh, perhaps know loyalties, uh, I was taken into service by the intelligence agencies of the United States um, for many purposes. Purposes. And one of them was in the Montauk Project from 1970 to 1983. And the Montauk Project was really an outgrowth of the Cold War, because as your listeners may know, uh, right after World War II, uh, uh, Nazi Germany was was finished, but then the U.S. uh, needed a new threat, and so they uh, devised the Soviet Union as a threat, uh, even though at the time uh, they couldn't even feed themselves in the Soviet Union, so they weren't uh, particularly in a position to attack anybody. And I think that uh, when um, people realize that, the government of the United States uh, needed a new threat. And that's why in 1947, they came up with the Roswell incident, which uh, uh, which your listeners uh, may know I have heard me talk about. It was a staged event. It wasn't a natural event that happened because of, uh, you know, a UFO was a was affected by radar equipment and or thunderstorms or whatever they had come up with as a cover story. But actually, it was a staged event so that uh, humanity would know that there was an alien presence on the Earth. And of course, this developed into other things during the 50s and 60s. Um, and eventually, um, there was a need for more types of control because the Illuminati, or the, the powers that be, relatively are a small group. Out of the 7 billion people on this planet, 
the Illuminati are perhaps a couple of hundred thousand in total, all the 13 families. And so when you are such a small group that needs to control massive amounts of people, weapons and armies are not enough. Obviously, you could be overwhelmed by the billions. So the most logical thing they did was to create mind control and programming for the general population of the Earth. Now, during World War II, the Germans were very much uh, uh, adept at uh, doing this, and they, they had practices in the concentration camps and in their own population. Of course, uh, they didn't have any monitors to stop them or regulate them. And so at the end of World War II, um, they had amassed so much information on programming and mind control that the U.S. government, under Project Paperclip, brought many of those Nazi scientists to the United States, Canada, and Britain uh, in order to continue their experiments and studies uh, without having to go through the Nuremberg trials, etc. And so, uh, one of the people that studied this uh, information from the Germans was a Scottish, a Scottish uh, scientist by the name of uh, Dr. Ewan Cameron, and he came to Canada and uh, basically created mind control experiments in Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto, where he created psychic driving, where he would uh, create extremes for mental patients uh, to break their uh, core personalities into fragments, and then each of those fragments can be programmed into sub-personalities or even uh, alters and uh, constructs within the mind. And I'm, I'm making a very long story short. And he was so successful in Canada that in the late 1940s and early 50s, he was brought to the U.S., uh, to the East Coast, and, and even to the Midwest, where he c continued those experiments for the U.S. military and created mind-control slaves, which in those days they started to call the females monarchs. And the reason they called them monarchs was named after the monarch butterfly, because they would be like social butterflies uh, going to different uh, sections of society, spying on people, transmitting information, this kind of a thing. And it extrapolated over the decades to quite a vast program of mind control and programming that's pervasive. So I, that is all a background for Montauk Project. The government needed a space where they could practice this unnoticed. And uh, in those days, in the uh, late, late 1950s and 1960s, uh, basically, um, they were using SAGE radar in bases, especially along the coasts of the United States, which would pick up uh, allegedly Soviet aircraft um, that could uh, affect uh, the, the United States. And uh, as we got towards the mid-60s, these SAGE radar stations became obsolete as new radar equipment uh, was installed. And one of these bases was the Montauk base at the very east end of Long Island, New York. And what made it very unique is that it's is really sticking out on a peninsula out into the ocean. There's really only one way to get in and one way to get out, so it's very easily monitored. It happens to be built on a very old military establishment that actually George Washington 
built in 1799. He built a, a, a lighthouse and an underground bunker area for storage in case the uh, U.S. was uh, invaded by the British. And over the centuries, it was added and added and added upon underneath the ground until they eventually broke in to caverns that had previously been existing there for thousands of years. And again, I'll make a long story short, they realized that this uh, building, these technologies that they were finding were Atlantean, and that the Montauk Point was actually the top of a mountain of an archipelago that extended into the Atlantic and Caribbean uh, where Atlantis used to exist. And in fact, uh, uh, geologically, there's only a very thin strip of sand that connects Montauk area to the rest of Long Island. Um, and sometimes in hurricanes and storms, it washes away. So in effect, uh, Montauk Point is, is really the to- an island top of a mountain that sticks out uh, in the ocean. And uh, the U.S. built, uh, right before World War II, uh, submarine pens uh, underneath uh, this area. And in fact, during World War II, uh, the local people would see German U-boats approaching the coast and submerging and then leaving days or weeks later, and no one stopped them. And so it was understood at some point that perhaps the U.S. government and the German government in World War II were working together in some categories. In fact, uh, in the town of Amagansett, which is very close to Montauk Point, it was one of the only locations in North America during World War II where the Germans made a beach landing with their military, which most people aren't aware of. Right. Yes. And in fact, it was discovered afterwards when uh, people on the beach found uh, German uh, uh, rubber rafts and and, and army uniforms that had been left on the beach. Apparently, they had changed into civilian clothing and took the train into Manhattan. And eventually, they were captured and executed. But it just shows that the Germans felt free enough to come to this area to land because they knew that no one would stop the U-boats in this area. So it's quite an interesting story when you read about it. Now, fast forward again to 1970, when the Montauk Project began underway. It consisted of those German scientists that were brought to the U.S. It also had Russian scientists, Israeli, American, British. There were a lot of major uh, nations that were represented in the Montauk Project. Initially, It was about uh, mind control and programming, yes, but over the years, over those 13 years that it existed, it uh, also was involving genetic manipulation, uh, time travel, esoteric weaponry, interdimensional communication, everything that you can imagine uh, that would involve Tesla equipment and Wilhelm Reich procedures. So it was quite a comprehensive uh, project, and I was there, unfortunately, for the full 13 years uh, that this project existed. I was uh, 13 years old uh, when I went there, Uh, and uh, and people should realize I wasn't there 24-7. You know, I would go and come back, go and come back, and very often they would come for me in the middle of the night. Uh, How How were you recruited, Stuart? 
Well, you know, it was almost as if I always had been part of this because ever since childhood, you know, uh, because of my father and his background and my family background, I was subjected to many uh, brutal, excruciating tests as a, as a child, as a toddler. Um, so I was always under government supervision, government experimentation my entire life uh, until the end of the Montauk Project. In fact, in my autobiography, uh, Alien Connect, Montauk Project Alien Connection, I speak about how during my childhood years, my early childhood, every Friday I would be brought to a Victorian mansion in a section of New York City, and I would be brutally examined by the doctor there, who I know now to be Dr. Well, he was called Dr. Green, but he was Mengala. Mengala, oh my God. Yes, yes. And uh, his son was also there uh, towards the end. And I'll never forget, uh, I was the only patient in this huge Victorian mansion. And he would have blocks on the floor, and they would tell me to go play with the blocks, and then they would watch me behind the closed doors. They would peek out and watch what I was doing. And then would come the physical examination, which was uh, very, very harsh and painful. I can't even begin to to express it. Um, and I would go every Friday there. And then I would be taken to a dentist's office, where my teeth would be drilled and uh, things done to my jaw without anesthesia. Oh. Yes, I had extreme trauma as a child. So it was ongoing, Mel. It was not like I was recruited. It's as soon as my birth. And if you read about my birth, which was also an anomaly and is in the medical books, you know, quite frankly, it started before my birth. So it's implied that you were recruited because your father was involved with them. Yes, yes, and that my creation and implantation in my mother's womb was also for that. Now remember, my father was taken to a base underneath El Paso, Texas. Right. When my mother uh, went to give birth to me and they examined her, they said, it's impossible for you to be pregnant because you have no birth canal. It's sealed mm. up. You could not physically become pregnant. They didn't know what was going on. They took her to a hospital that was not opened yet. It was an under construction. There was no heat. And they brought in a doctor from Texas, same place my father was was uh, was trained, and uh, this doctor happened to be a, a specialist in this field, just happened to be in the area, and performed surgery on my mother so that I could be born. And this is uh, written up in medical books. Huh. So they, I was told many years later that I was one of the first experimentations of, uh, of implantation in the womb of, uh, what do they call it, uh, in vitro fertilization. Right. Yeah. So that was in the 50s. Now, you, obviously, from what I've read, you have developed some abilities. Were, they, were these abilities developed during the project, or were they innate? Were you born with them? Yes, I was born with them. Ever since I could remember, I saw people who were out, you know, I now know they were dead people. I saw energy fields. I was abducted. I had alien experiences since I can remember. So yes, I, I do not know what it's like to have a conventional life or to have a normal childhood. I didn't really have a childhood, see? So, you know, to me, society was a big uh, mystery because I was never part of it. 
Well, in a way, that's a positive because you were not part of that. You may have been part of one programming, but not the the other programming that we are all victims of. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, it's funny because when, when Montauk Project ended abruptly in August 12, 1983, it was as if I was unplugged from an electrical socket. Hmm. It was a feeling like I had never known before I, I was completely bewildered, completely out of my element. I didn't know what to do, what to say, how to interact with people. It, I felt actually like an alien on another planet. If I tell you that I did not even know how to put gasoline in a vehicle, you know, I did not know how to do simple things that other people take for granted. It's quite an amazing thing. Is it that you forgot when you were, quote-unquote, unplugged? Or just you just didn't have those uh, daily routines that most of us have? I never had those routines. I was never shown anything, taught anything that I can say, you know, normal quote-unquote people would, uh, would learn about, you know. Even, uh, you know, sports activities, it was, it was foreign to me. I had no idea, you know, how do you play baseball? What is football? I had no idea what these things were. What, what is popular music? I didn't know. What, who's singing what, what? groups for what I had no idea hey, a lot of people don't know this but you were blind for a long time oh yes uh, yeah actually for 29 years tell me more about this well and here again uh, you know I cannot say if they did it purposely or if it was a side effect but my feeling it was purposely they were trying to create a person who could see into other realities without the use of a device and so the person would become the device, and I was one of those people that they did this. What they did was to create blindness in my physical eyes so that parts of my brain would take over the, uh, the sight of an energetic nature so that even though my physical eyes could not see, my mind, my brain could see energy fields and uh, symbols, colors, uh, these, and hear tones uh, beyond the range of normal human uh, comprehension and senses. And so that's how I went through life. And in fact, uh, the problem existed that when it would be raining or snowing, for example, I couldn't really function outside or drive, for example, because there was this constant energy flow from the storm or the rain, whatever it was, in front of me, and I could only see the swirls of energy, and I couldn't move. And the same, yeah. And so you same. could drive? You could drive, although you were somewhat blind? Yeah, well, I was quite blind. And, quite, and the big joke, they called it braille driving. And you know how, <laughs> well, you know how in California they have uh, those little bumps on the lanes, you know, and they're reflective, you know? And yes. so whenever I would go over the lane, it would hit the bump. I know, <laughs> I would know that, uh, you know, I had to get back in the lane. But I felt, I felt actually, Mel, that I could see better than a sighted person because not only could I see the energy of the vehicles and the people, I knew where they were going to go. I knew what moves they were going to make, see? <sighs> you see, I never had an accident, well, let me ask you, did your optic nerves, were they connected to your brain or were they not? Well, they were not. And in fact, in December 1999, I had surgery to reconnect my optic nerves to my brain. 
And that's something I will never do again because I had to be awake during the uh, the, uh, the surgery. And uh, it was very scary. And the thing is, when after the surgery, and you know, I had these big, uh, you know, bandages over my head, my eyes and all this. And when they took the bandages off, I was very scared because, you know, I didn't know what would happen. Would I be totally blind? Would I, you know, see? I had no idea what to expect. And when they finally took the the pads off of my eyes and I opened my eyes, I was a surprise because not only could I see physically, but I could see the energy fields in addition. So it was like a layer over a layer, you, you see? Kind of like when you have an overhead projector and you put the different uh, films on it and you build up different pictures. That's kind of uh, what I saw. I saw the human form plus the energy field, plus I could see inside the human form. You know, basically, I was like a a living MRI machine. So if you were able to see, like we do, is it because they disconnected your optic nerves on purpose then? Well, that's the thing. I don't know if they did on purpose or was it a side effect of the ELF and microwave bombardments uh, that I was subjected to. My feeling is they kind of knew what would happen, you know? Um, and their, uh, guess the justification was, well, you can see anyway, you know? So, um, in that respect, I was able to work for them in a very deep way because one of the projects I had to do was to go into hyperspace, which is beyond the physical, beyond the astral. It's the, basically it's the God mind energy, and look at the color, tone, and archetype that exists there, which is the language of God, they say, and then learn what they mean, how to put them together like a formula, and create and manifest physically from that level. So I was able to go in, look at a, a, a form, look at an archetype, and I know how to translate it into, into human language. And that is why in my, in my book, Healer's Handbook, I have in there a dictionary, which is the most comprehensive archetype dictionary that I know of um, that translates from the hyperspace language to, to a human language. And based on that, you can create sentences in hyperspace form uh, that will create and manifest physically for you. Oh, my God. Once again, I, I keep thinking, how in the world was I not aware of your work? And and you better be sure that the first thing I did was subscribe to your newsletter. And I hope, folks, if you go to his website, expansions.com, subscribe to the newsletter and uh, take a look at all that information. If you really want an eye-opener. This is something you have to do. But I, am, I presume that you are still, as you mentioned at the beginning, there's no way that you left the project 100%, right? Oh, well, like I mentioned, when it crashed, and it crashed abruptly, I was really, you know, it was kind of like falling out of an airplane without a parachute. And quite frankly, a lot of the people who were still alive at the time uh, from the from the project uh, had difficulties. Many became alcoholics. Some became drug addicts. Many went to prison. Uh, some committed suicide. Some went into mental institutions because they did not know how to function. See, they did not know how to function in society. And I wrote in one of my books that out of all the people over those years that were used in the experimentation, less than one percent survived. 
And of that 1%, very few were able to function in society, and that's why I was an anomaly to them. Because not only was I able to function, even during the years of the project, I did not lose my memories. They always would put mask memories, false memories. They would wipe out the situation so you couldn't repeat them. But it didn't work on me. No matter what they did, I remembered it. And so, you know, one of the solutions they have for such people is they kill them because it's right. the problem. But I was such an anomaly, and I was a creation anyway that they was must have been expensive to them. So they, they studied me. And they still try to study me, you know. I know that I'm always watched. And I had begun uh, a deprogramming process that lasted still ongoing, you know. Deprogramming takes a very long time, especially when you're at very deep levels. But I'm, I'm proud to say that after now 20 years, well, 21 now, of deprogramming, I have a good chunk of it gone. And when I get triggered... I know it. I know what the triggers are. And fortunately, I'm, I'm with a very wonderful uh, spouse who understands this, and she watches and says, hey, you know, you're getting triggered by, by such mm. and such. And I go, okay. And we watch each other, and we monitor each other, and we help each other. And that's why I do in my work, uh, which unfortunately, uh, my work has morphed into becoming more like a deprogrammer and helping people to to see the programs within them, tell them how to get rid of them. In my book, 13 Cube and True Reality of Sexuality, those books I I specifically talk about programming and deprogramming, which is something everyone out there, 100%, needs to be working on that. You mentioned, uh, just to, to take a detour for a moment, you mentioned Roswell, and that it could have been a setup just... It didn't happen. Uh, my question is, I hear so many uh, theories as to what happened there. Could it also have been if we needed to create a new threat, as you said, first the Cold War, now we have the war on terror, maybe in the future we have a celestial object and then maybe an alien invasion. But at the time, could it be because we wanted to let the Russians believe that we had this esoteric or, or this extraordinary technology that would scare them thinking that we had it no because they had their own crash and oh. retrievals you know okay you right. know in those days from the late 40s to the early to mid 50s the ufos are dropping out of the skies like like uh, rocks mm -hmm. all over the world and it's because uh you know it was on purpose and the illuminati at up at that point they said they were saying okay we need to create a new global threat so that people are afraid. You know, if there's UFOs flying in our skies and we can't defend against it, we are vulnerable. People are, are terrified. If people are terrified. They do what they're told to, to save themselves. It's fear creates the, the uh, atmosphere for programming to take hold. Well, it's a Hegelian dialectic, a problem, yes, reaction, solution. Yes, absolutely. Now, now don't mis misunderstand. There were... Alien bodies, yes, there were aliens. There, are, there, there legitimately are aliens, yes. But this particular incident was staged by the government in order to uh, give a calling card, if you will, to the Earth and say, yes, uh, this, this occurred. Now, here's what happened. After that event happened, and I'm saying like the next day, there was a, a problem, and uh, too many people were finding out too many things too quickly, 
And so the government pulled the plug on it and created a cover story because what they had planned uh, was not what happened. Now, when I use the word government at the time, it's not the government and the official government. It was the secret government that staged all of this. And of course, there is a connection between the secret government and the public government. These days, the secret government is the public government. There's no more distinction. See, so that there was happened. a takeover. Yeah, it's already now pretty much one thing. But in those days, in the late 40s, there was a secret government that created these events and had their uh, their liaisons with the public government who basically told the public government what to do. And that's what happened. And they made these cover stories and they took the vehicle away to uh, uh, the Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. But first they stopped off in Dallas. Uh, yes, uh, everybody can read about it. And it's all in so many different books. Um, but it was a big fiasco that the government had created. And then they they just covered it up. But explain, uh, what do you mean when you say it was staged, if there were real alien bodies then? Well, because those bodies were dead before they hit the ground. Mm. I mean, the, the the story in the books, the cover books are, you know, from from certain investigators that, uh, that there was a lightning storm that could have affected it, or that our radar system affected the, the controls of these UFOs. Now, come on. These ships travel interdimension, interstellar. They're not going to be affected by a lightning storm or radar system of a primitive nature. Yeah. I always say, Stuart, I always say that if it's so pathetic for an extraterrestrial more than civilization to traverse billions of miles to come here to crash because of our antique right. technology. Exactly correct. And that's why these were all staged. And that wasn't the only one. There was another crash in New Mexico, in, uh, in Socorro or Aztec, New Mexico. There was one in uh, in Mexico, the you know, the old Mexico. There was one in Svalbard in Norway. There were several in Siberia and the Soviet Union. They were just dropping out of the skies all of a sudden. Why? Why? Well, yes. because, because, you know, it's like when when one... When one staged event uh, wasn't working, they try another staged event. They did this for several years. And if you look at most of the crash retrievals that have occurred, they were from late 1940s to mid-1950s. Like that period of time was most of them. And that's because that's when they were trying to get this thing done the right way. And then when they realized it wasn't working... They covered it all up. They created other incidences that, uh, with no evidence. Uh, and to this day, they are now still covering up. But I think that's coming now to an end. So when you're saying that we had more in Norway and more in New Mexico, are you saying that they were all staged? Yes, yes, every single one of them. So all the people, the Stanton Friedman's of the world, and all those people out there, what are they doing then? Are they perpetuating a lie? Of course they are. You know, everything in history is a lie. Everything that you've learned in school, even science and, and a lot of math, is all uh, contrived. Well, history is written by the winners. Yes, that's correct. And so uh, most of history has been obliterated or changed. And this is a social engineering project worldwide, Stuart? It's global in nature, absolutely global. Humankind is an experiment, and I write about that in my Blue Blood book. 
we are we are an experiment. We are a mix of two species that should never live together in the same place. We are mammalian and reptilian in the same body. And that's not supposed to happen naturally. This is a creation. How did this happen, Stuart? Well, you know, I go back again in a long time when our planet here was uh, really uh, a water world. And it was the second position from the sun. And there, there was uh, Mars had uh, was more Earth-like, and there was a planet between Mars and Jupiter, which was called Maldek, which was also very Earth-like. Mm. And make a long story short, you know, all humanity, all our our mammalian ancestors came from a star system called Lyrae, which was attacked by the reptilians from the Draco star system. And the refugees from Lyrae fanned out across the known galaxy and colonized many different worlds, including two worlds in this solar system, Mars and Maldek. And in those days, Mars had an atmosphere just like an oceans, just like the Earth does. And the Earth was covered in water. The reptilians spent many thousands of years searching for the refugees because they wanted to absorb all of humanity. And they found the colonies here in the solar system. And they sent in an ice comet to destroy it. And the ice comet, make a very long story short, was very uh, big at the time, and it came into our solar system. It caused the planet Uranus to to go off of its axis and spin on north to south instead of east to west, as all planets do. And Uranus is the only known planet anywhere that still spins north to south. And then the ice comet continued on. And as it got between the positions of the gravitational pull of Jupiter, Maldek, and our sun, it caused Maldek to explode into many different pieces, which we now have as the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. And as it got close to Mars, the force of the planet pulled the atmosphere and most of the oceans off of Mars, creating the planet we now see today. And as it came close to our planet, the Earth, which was now which was a water world, the spin of the ice comet and the Earth uh, around each other uh, very quickly and for a period of time caused the oceans to separate and actually be pulled off of the planet, creating land exposed. The spin created polar uh, ice caps because of the uh, water being pulled and frozen. And then the Earth and the ice comet switched positions so that the ice comet became the second planet in our solar system captured by the, by the sun. And the Earth was pushed out into third position and became more inhabitable. And the second planet, the ice comet, became Venus, which... Being closer to the sun, the heat caused the ice to evaporate and melt and created the, the clouds that we now see around Venus. And back in the 1980s, before the Soviet Union collapsed, the Soviets sent a space probe to Venus with a special camera that could survive the intense heat as it descended below the, the cloud cover. And when it descended below the cloud cover, the cameras picked up seven domed areas on the surface of Venus, which were transmitted back to the Soviet Union. And in fact, this was reported on the front page of New York Times and LA Times at the, at the time. 
And so uh, there was this whole article that was written that stated uh, how these uh, they were seven uh, shaped uh, dome shaped perfectly shaped objects on the surface of Venus, and then went on and on about it. And the very last paragraph said that NASA had determined that these were natural formations. Now. If, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, if you know about reptilian uh, culture, which I write about in Blue Blood Book, you know that there is a hierarchy of seven different races, each one having a specific function, and they do not mix together. And so if you have a colony of reptilians on a planet, it makes sense to me that they would be in several or separated domed areas, uh, which, we, which we have seen now from the Soviet uh, photographs. Have but you seen those photographs? I have seen those photographs. You know, uh, many years ago, I was very much questioned by the government about Soviet satellite photographs. Uh, um, that's a whole other story. But uh, they were very, the government, U.S. government, very interested in what the Soviets found out. Um, and that's, uh, again, another whole category. I could go on for weeks about what goes on in the so what went on in the Soviet Union. But... As far as the Earth is concerned, it was now colonizable because land masses had appeared. And so the reptilians drove another object into our solar system and parked it around the Earth for colonization. And we now call that the moon. moon. And the moon, as you know, is the only object in space that does not spin its orbit, only one side faces the Earth at all times. That's why it has a light side and a dark side, and we never see the dark side. It's, an, it's because it's a ship parked in orbit. And when they brought the moon rocks back to the Earth in the late 60s and early 70s, it was determined that the rock from the moon did not come from the solar system. It's not from here. You see, I love it that you're opening other doors for me because the moon is a, is a, is an area or an object, no pun intended, that we always like to discuss here. So, in your opinion, the moon is a an artificial object that was moved here when this all happened. Yeah. With what purpose? Is it monitoring, or what, why is it well, there? It, it was brought here for colonization, and that is when the reptilians colonized the Earth in a continent known, uh, we call it now Lemuria, Mm -hmm. And uh, they were reptilian, androgynous beings, and they colonized the Earth first. And that's why the reptilians feel the Earth is their planet, because they were here first. And it's, that's the truth. What happened to Lemuria and Atlantis? Well, you know, many eons later, the human uh, refugees from Mars and other areas colonized the Earth in Atlantis. And when you have reptiles and mammals living in the same place, they do not get along. And so there were many, many wars, uh, many, many destructions. And ultimately, the Atlanteans, uh, with their geomagnetic weapons, caused Lemuria to sink into the ocean and created what's left is Australia, New Zealand, the South Pacific, Japan, the Philippines, uh, even the west coast of uh, California, west of the San Andreas Fault Line was part of Lemuria. The Redwood Forest up north is part of what was Lemuria. So all of these uh, remnants were here, and when the reptilians sank 
many of them went into the inner earth or under the uh, crust of the earth uh, for safety reasons, and that began the legend later on of uh, hell under the earth or demons living under the earth. That's where that came from. Mm-hmm. And it was only after the Atlanteans destroyed themselves many uh, millennia later uh, that the reptilians underground thought, okay, now we can come back up to the surface. But so much time had passed that the humans would not accept their appearance because they looked demonic. And is so- it true, and I don't mean, I, just to interject, is it true that they, they liked it, that uh, inner earth or, or, or underground was demonized as hell, if you want to call it that way, because that way they would not be uh, bothered underground and they liked it that way? Well, I don't know. I don't know if they liked it that way. I, I only know that part of their colonization process was to prepare the planet for assimilation into the Draco Empire. And that is what they have felt a compelled need to do. And so that is why they wanted to retake the surface. But in order to do so, they had to start a hybridization project so that they could be accepted in some way. And that's where uh, shape-shifting came in, because when they mix 50-50 genetics, human and mammalian, uh, reptilian and mammalian, uh, the body could shift from one to the other. And that's the story of how shapeshifters began on the planet. And we have Caucasoid, Mongoloid, and Negroid. How did these races come to be? From the different reptilian races that donated uh, genetics to these, uh, these particular cultures. And you know, when you go back in the Bible, and you look at Genesis, and what does it say in Genesis? Let us create man in our Image. image. Always it's plural when referring to God. If it's a singular God, why is he talking in the plural? See? And True. so, and the story, the allegorical story of uh, the creation of Eve from the rib of Adam, that really is about taking an androgynous reptilian body and separating it into male and female components by adding mammalian genetics. And that's why when you observe a human fetus gestation in the womb, for the first few weeks, it's reptilian androgynous. And only after several weeks do mammalian characteristics start to form. And that's because the genetic code is following the sequence in which it developed. It was reptilian body first, and mammalian genetics were added afterwards. And that we can see this in the womb. Why the genetic manipulation? Why the the mixture between humans and, and reptilian? That was so that the human beings would accept uh, reptilian overlords, so that they would actually be part of them. It was also part of a, a peace process, which I write about in Blue Blood, where the before Lemuria and Atlantis were destroyed, uh, a peace process. Uh, was developed where they decided to create a blending of the two races or species in order to create a third uh, to show uh, unity between them. But of course, it was a miserable failure. Of course. And all this mind control, let me just fast forward a little bit. 
we all know the digital boxes that our nice government is giving to all of us so that we could in, be entertained. Yes. What's your take behind the digital boxes and the digital signal in our TVs? Well, you know, of course, it is to monitor. Even when you turn your television off, it can still watch you. Yes. And even when you unplug your computer, it still can watch and monitor you. And this is something that's been going on for quite a long period of time. And in order to now consolidate it and unify it across the field, they, uh, of course, destroyed the uh, signal so that you can only watch television if you have this digital service. You know, this is doing this everywhere. What are they using the analog signal for now? Well, you know, that signal is very, let's say, more difficult to manipulate. And so they use it for their own, um, their own inner communications amongst themselves. This is just a, an important thing to, thing to ask you. In, in, this is in your, in your blog right now. And let me just talking about mind control. I'm 10 minutes away from the Tucson massacre, just as a matter of disclosure. My wife was across the street having breakfast with our daughter when this whole thing started. And she saw the helicopters and the ambulance come in. Vigilante activation. Tell me what you think happened here, Stuart. Well, did you see the picture of this Jared Loeffner when he was in the photograph of him in the prison? And the first thing I said to myself was, he is a suspect until he's proven guilty. Why is he being shaved if he's in detention? Yeah. Why did they shave him and make that weird expression on his face for CNN and Fox and all the other news services to show? Because he looks like an alien being, doesn't he? Yeah. He looks like something from a sci-fi movie, and he's supposed to look weird and scary. Right. And he is now a conspiracy theorist who has Mm -hmm. gone bad and is an example to the world of what happens when you believe in conspiracy theories. You see? Look at him. He looks not even human being. And if you look at his eyes, you can see one eye is bigger than the other eye. Mm -hmm. And that is a telltale sign of a deeply programmed person. In fact, if you look at many of the uh, media entertainment icons uh, there on television and in movies, you'll notice that one eye looks different than the other. It's not completely symmetrical. That's a sign of a programmed person, deeply programmed person, who is in an activated state. And I like to tell people that I didn't jump to any conclusions. First of all, because I'm here and, and the, the congresswoman happens to be my congresswoman in the area. She was born on the 8th. She is the representative for District 8, and she was shot on the 8th. Yes, yes. Is there a correlation here, Stuart? Absolutely. You know, and in fact, uh, uh, if you know the numerology or the astro-numerology of all of this, um, it was a, a purposeful action um, so to trigger people with this vigilante programming. And, and what happened after that shooting? Well, in the last week or so, how many police officers across the country have been shot? Yes, a lot. Many, many, many. This triggered a chain reaction, activated vigilante uh, programmed people across the country. 
and uh, that's going to get worse. And in fact, it may have even triggered uh, the explosion in Moscow Airport. Hmm. So unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of this in 2011. 2011 is a year, what I call an everything year. That means everything will happen and can happen. And that includes every program function out there will be opened up. Just in the last few weeks of January, Stuart, we've seen more news than we've seen probably in years before. That's right. And it's only January. Right. So, you know, fasten your seatbelts because it's going to be a very rough ride this year in many categories. Another aspect I found interesting, Stuart, was that the congresswoman was taken to a facility in uh, Houston, yeah. as opposed to the many wonderful facilities. We have the Mayo Clinic. We have many mm. great facilities in Arizona, yeah. many rehab facilities. But look at the facility she was taken to. It's connected to the military. Right. So what does that tell you? What are they doing to her? She's being programmed now to be represented to the population as a survivor of a vigilante attack, of a, of a conspiracy theorist. She has survived this, and now she's going to be, you're going to see her propelled politically to the highest levels. There's obviously a problem-reaction solution here. The problem was that we had supposedly a lunatic who came in with guns, uh, which, by the way, doesn't it look like the Virginia Tech uh, massacre? Isn't there a correlation here, perhaps even Columbine and others? Yes, I've written about all of those. Every single one of them uh, had to do with the programming trigger and activation. Uh, first of all, Columbine, you, you know, it's interesting, because if you look at either immediately before, during, or after these events, there is some type of a weather anomaly in that region, like the vortex is created, you know, and in the Columbine, you know, Littleton, Colorado, there was this huge blizzard on May 1st, right after the shooting, uh, and, and, you know, blinding blizzard, and the first thing they said on the news was, oh, this is not unusual for this, this area this time of year. Well, yes, it is, because the people who live there say that's never happened before. You know, the same thing happened with many of the other shootings all across the country. Huge rainstorms, floods occurred after some type of weather anomaly occurred because of the microwave and ELF pulse that was concentrated into that area. And so I also noticed in Arizona, uh, shortly after that, an earthquake occurred uh, just up north, a 3.5 quake in the central part of uh, Arizona. Uh, you can look on the USGS map. Uh, I had never seen one there before, but could have been the result of this ELF pulse uh, to trigger the vigilante programming. Well, let me also mention that I monitor chemtrails almost on a daily basis just to, to make sure I know when they're spraying and whether or not. And the only times in the past few weeks that I saw them stop was Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And they continued, as usual, every single day. And that day, I was going to, uh, to film a lecture. And I noticed, first thing I did was look in the sky, and it was clear, nothing at all. And immediately, I was faced with traffic, and my wife called me that the shootings were taking place. What's your take on chemtrails? Well, you know, 
they've been going on for quite a long period of time, and they are filled with all kinds of bacteria, viruses, mycoplasmas, um, filaments uh, that are designed to do several things. They are changing the genetic structures of the people that inhale them or breathe them in. They are creating illnesses to eliminate certain genetic types that they don't want around. And they are also creating this web, uh, electromagnetic web in the ionosphere, so that there's a grid system being created over the Earth and makes it easier to dial in to a particular area of a grid uh, to send transmissions of ELF or microwave or whatever is necessary for that area, according to the Illuminati. So there's many, many purposes for what they are doing with them. Strontium, barium, aluminum, the incidence of uh, of all the, the mental disease, uh, mm-hmm. Parkinson's and, and the others. I'm just trying to understand is there an activation process that has to take place for them to, to what I'm trying to say, is there an end game for chemtrails or is this just a, a slow process? Well, it, as I say, it's been going on at least that I know of since the mid eighties, uh, the chemtrails. Oh, eighties. Yes. I remember them. I used to, in those days, in those days, it was called high flyers because you'd look up and you see these little lines forming over the sky. And in those days, back in the mid eighties, it was only in English speaking countries. We saw them in us, Canada, Britain, and Australia. Then as we got into the nineties, we saw them in Germanic speaking countries. I saw them in Switzerland and Germany, And then finally, the end of the 90s, they were everywhere. And so um, definitely, uh, they are manufactured artificially to change human life in conjunction with uh, the HARP project, uh, the satellite projects that's going on. Um, Oh, gosh, there's so many things that they're doing in order to change life as we know it. And of course... What they're doing now is trying to create or recreate uh, prehistoric conditions on the Earth. They're, there's an ice age coming. They're creating, and they they want to uh, bring back the the mammoth. Yes, 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 among other things. You know, you know, I, I I wrote about this mammoth. You know, they they announced it on the news, but I wrote if you had read my if my, the, the listeners read their website back in 1999. When I was working in Oslo, Norway, I read a Norwegian newspaper then, and I'll never forget it, an article that said that Russian and Japanese scientists had cloned a mammoth from the cells taken from a frozen uh, mammoth discovered in Siberia. And they had in, uh, cre- in, implanted a, an African elephant that could carry it to term and that it would be due in a few weeks. And they were excited to see the results. And so was I. It's like, wow, I can't wait until they put in the newspaper when, when this mammoth is born. And there was never another word about it until uh, last week. Of course. So, so Jurassic Park is real then? Oh, yes, it's very real. And, you know, they have already recreated the Thunderbirds, which have been released in North America. Uh, they have done uh, many, many experimentations that have been released uh, over the decades. Mothman uh, from West Virginia was part of that process. You know, there's so much uh, animal anomaly uh, that they have created. Chupacabra, all these things have been uh, creations that were released into the public. 
Stuart, we have to take our one and only intermission. We have so much more to discuss. Folks, as you can tell, we are going to try to extract as much from Stuart today, but there's no way. We need a few days continuously to be able to talk with Stuart to get all this information. But in the meantime, Stuart, tell us how to get in touch with your work. Yes, uh, please go to expansions.com, and on there you can sign up for the free newsletter that you'll get every day, and there'll be a lot of information in there. And peruse the website. There's, uh, there's news, there's uh, comments, there's articles. Everything that you'd want to know about the world is in there. And when we come back, there's, there's a few elephants in the room. Number one, yesterday, a Utah Army base was closed, locked down because of a serious concern. There's Tunisia, now Egypt, with their revolts. This is unheard of, folks. I said it a couple of weeks ago. People were not discussing it. This is having a domino effect. Uh, Iran, the discussions broke down, and then 24 hours later, they sent their naval fleet to the Red Sea. 111, I want you to tell us what the meaning of 111. A lot of us look at the clock or the watch at 1111 or 111 or 411, and it's not only me, it's everybody. And I want to discuss all these things with Stuart Swartblow. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member, just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, and click on the subscribe link. To listen to the rest of the show. As a member, have you subscribed to the iTunes link? Let iTunes download all segments of each new show automatically. There's a link in the members section. Just click on it and let iTunes do the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. Enjoy!
This is Sean David Morton, and you are listening to the Veritas Radio Show. 